Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. I'm, I'm of course glad to be here with you this morning as we continue our study in the book of Matthew. Um, this is only week two in the study. We're gonna be in here what's gonna feel like forever. Um, so just hang on. But if you missed last week, you can go back and catch up online. This is only week two. You're not gonna have too many opportunities before we're like 15 weeks in and I don't know, good luck. I mean, just if that's all you listen to, but go ahead and catch up. You're only in week two. If you missed last week and if you didn't know, we have a podcast, you can go on YouTube. We have all those options available. Every sermon's put online, just about every sermon's put online every week for you to go back and listen to. Last week, we set the stage for the book, learning that uh, Matthew is being very intentional about what he's doing. He's writing a biography of the life of Jesus. And remember, first century biographies are a little bit different than what we think of today. But he starts off by presenting Jesus as the king. The long-awaiting one coming to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant or the Davidic covenant, this is King Jesus. That's what it's starting off. This is King Jesus, the one the world has been waiting on. Even if they didn't know, that's what they've been waiting on. He has come. And now he goes from us looking at the genealogy and, and seeing this, how Jesus has fulfilled these covenants. He jumps now into the extraordinary events surrounding the birth of Jesus. And the birth of Jesus is a holiday season we call... Yeah, some of us still know Christmas. You were correct. Now, while you are probably familiar with the story of Christmas, you may not be familiar with the story of Christmas from Matthew's account. Usually we hear Luke's version during the Christmas season, and it's generally agreed upon by scholars that Luke's account is from the view of Mary, and Matthew's account is from the view of Joseph, it's very different. The details are very different. Not what's going on, but just what they're more interested in talk about. You see, in Matthew's account of the Christmas narrative, it's about Joseph nearly divorcing Mary, a king who wants to hold on by, to power by killing innocent babies, Jesus, Jesus and his parents being refugees seeking political asylum while they wait for a wicked, uh, a wicked king to die. Now, those would be interesting Christmas cards, wouldn't they? That's not generally what we get in the mail. If you find one, send it to me. I'll think it's kind of funny this year. We'll get into most of that next week. But what's interesting is Joseph really is a neglected character in the story of Christmas. And in fact, the life of Jesus. We don't hear much about Joseph, but what we do know about him, we see from the beginnings of this book of Matthew. Well, um, Oh, book more of Matthew and see, we'll see his side where in Luke, we look at what Mary went through and Joseph, he has an amazing story. At least Matthew thought he did. And we're going to talk about it as we walk through this, uh, these verses this morning, looking at his life and kind of what he went through because Joseph, his life teaches us far more than we're probably ready for. Because right from the beginning of Matthew's gospel, I want you to pay attention to this. Right from the start, we're going to see that when God starts to move or when God has something going on, people start to change. He calls people to change. 
God calls you and me to rearrange our lives in light of what he's doing. And if we were to be honest, we want it the other way, don't we? God, here's what I want to do, and here's what you need to change too. To which God says, I don't know if you understand how this works, but I'm God. And when I move, you change. You adjust to what I have going on. And we're going to jump right into his story. He's a young man getting ready to get married. Here's what it says, Matthew 1.18. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. So we have this engagement process. And the word engaged here is super helpful for this translation because it brings it into modern times for us. But the word's betrothed, right? It's a little different than what we're used to. See, ancient Jewish marriages were, as you can imagine, different. A lot of times they were pre-arranged marriages and the families would negotiate. One of the things they had to work through is how much am I going to pay for the bride, Would that make you feel uncomfortable, ladies, when your family's negotiating your cost? Yeah, because the dad would say, yeah, so that's what they had to work through. The father of the bride would get paid for their daughters. Then they would make an announcement to everybody that these two couples, they're going, they're engaged, they're betrothed, they're going to get married, and everybody would be like, okay, this is great. But what it is, is it was a pledge to each other. And then about a year out, this betrothal process would happen. And and when they are engaged and when they're betrothed, only death or divorce could separate them. So they're kind of engaged, but not really. It's a little bit more binding. You you can't just walk away during the betrothal process. They're, They're together. However, they still lived with their parents and there were no sexual relations allowed. She's like, bro, that's a long waiting period. What's going on? Listen, this makes perfect sense if you're in the first century. What do you need about a year for to figure out without medical advances? Who's pregnant? So this whole betrothal period would see who's pure. This was a waiting period. This, of course, they didn't have the technology. So now that they know betrothed, they'd wait. Is the bride getting up pregnant? Somebody else's baby? Is there a baby mama that's kind of come around saying that he's gotten someone else pregnant? That whole year waiting period waited to see, hey, what kind of drama, what kind of events are about to surround this marriage? And it it just makes sense, doesn't it? Like some of you should pause before you get married, take a little bit of time to breathe. Some of you should have known that before you got married, right? But it's all practical. And so Luke tells us, Mary's engaged and all of a sudden she darts off and goes to her cousin's house for about three months. When she comes back, what's going on with her? Do you know? She comes back pregnant, which is what the waiting period was for, to find out if she's pregnant. So the whole thing just made perfect sense. They're betrothed, they're engaged, let's see what happens. She comes back pregnant, and here's what happens next, verse, uh, the second part of 18. But before the, oh, go back. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's always hard for to translate the Bible with saying what it says versus saying what's, what's, you know, for us to read out loud and work through, but it's making it very clear. She's a virgin. They haven't had sex and she gets, she gets pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the immaculate conception. We call it. Now, if you think that's hard to believe that Mary got pregnant as a virgin, I completely get it, but here's the deal. Whether or not you believe this or whether or not you have a hard time wrestling with this, think about this. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard about this. It's been circulating, this this idea of Mary being a virgin and being pregnant. It's been circulating the world for about 2,000 years now. 
And even people who don't go to church have heard the story because it's an interesting story. So if you think it's hard for you to believe it and you've heard the story so many times, how difficult do you think this would have been for Joseph to hear? Where this story had not been circulating for thousands of years and it's the girl he's supposed to marry. Oh, you're pregnant. And God did it. Is that who we're calling the guy you looked at the mall or, Mary, or, or Elizabeth Gardner that you were over there hanging out with? I mean, he's a person, like, this is a human being who's engaged and his girlfriend, his, his, his almost bride-to-be shows up pregnant. How hard would it for you to believe that? Yeah, so imagine what Joseph is dealing with in this moment. And an angel told Mary about these events. She hurried off. She went to Elizabeth, probably didn't tell Joseph about it all. Maybe she tried to write him a Dear Joe letter to explain what was going on. Or maybe he came by to visit her. We don't really know. But what we do know is that Mary finds out she's pregnant. Joseph finds out she's pregnant. And here's what happens next. Verse 19. It says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. So we're told that Joseph is righteous. We're told the same thing about Mary, that she found favor with God. Both of these people were walking with God. Both of these people were obeying God. And so God then gave them, check this out, more to do. This is going to be a fun topic for all of you righteous, mature Christians this morning. They were following God. So he said, hey, I have even more for you to do. Too often we want God to give us this grand master plan, but the truth thing, the truth is, we don't follow the things he's already given us. The majority of the things God wants to do in your life is already found right here in the Bible. It's for you to transform, to be like Jesus Christ. Like that is what you should aim for. I need to grow into the person and the maturity of how Jesus is. And through that, and while doing that, God will use you in all sorts of different ways. He wants this transformation to happen. And so Joseph and Mary, they are living out the Bible. They're living in the law. They're living out their faith. And so God then gives them more to do. And see, this idea of him being righteous is very important for the situation because the Old Testament tells him what he's supposed to do. So Joseph being righteous, he wants to follow the Old Testament. He wants to follow the law of Moses in this event. And if he were to just marry Mary... I can't help it. If he were just to marry Mary, it would be an admission of guilt that this is his child. Because let's be honest, suppose you're engaged and you find out your spouse is pregnant or they got someone else pregnant. That's kind of hard to work through because the trust has been broken. Now he has to accept another man's baby. And what, regardless of what you did in your life, I'm great. But for a lot of people, this would be a little bit hard to, to chew on that this is all going on and I can still walk away. All right, we're not married yet. This is the engagement process. It's a lot for him to chew on just to accept it and marry it and, and, and walk through all of that. That's the point of this, this period. But so if Mary, excuse me, if Joseph were to go through with the marriage, he'd be accepting, this is my child, I have done this. Or the second option is divorce. You accept the child or divorce. You accept that it's your fault and you've done this or it's divorce. He's with these two options because here's, well, here's what Deuteronomy says to do. Look at this. Deuteronomy 22, this is the law of Moses. It says, suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin who engaged to be married and he has sexual intercourse with her. So this is, she's engaged. This is another guy meeting an engaged woman. 
If this happens within a town, you must take both of them to the gates of the town and stone them to death. What do you think about that one? Some of you, yep, like I completely understand. That's what I want to do to my spouse sometimes, stone them to death. But this is rough. This is not, not just her, by the way, him too. Like stone them to death for the cheating. The woman is guilty because she did not scream for help. Don't worry, they had provisions that if it was happening in the country and nobody could hear her scream, they had a provision for that. You can read Deuteronomy to find it. It's in there though. The man must die because he has violated another man's wife. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you. So this is what the Old Testament said. This is what the law looks. This is what it looks like to be righteous. Now, scholars say during the first century that this was a little too much for them. So even in Joseph's time, the stonings really didn't happen. It was on the table. This could have happened to Mary. This was on, but it was kind of like, ah, well, we, we don't want to do that. So Joseph's like, I don't want all of that to happen. So, so let's, just, let's just do this quietly. Let's not make a big deal out of it. Verses 19, go back to it. He says, so he wants to divorce her quietly. Instead of making a big public to-do, instead of embarrassing her, instead of throwing it all out there, he could just have two witnesses sign and just push her to the side. But check this out. Look at the character of this man. His legal option was to go all the way up to having her stoned because he knew the child wasn't his. But rather than humiliate her, he's willing to bear the brunt of that humiliation and do it quietly because regardless, this is gonna be humiliating. He had no interest in being harsh. Guys, how often have you been humiliated or you think you're gonna be humiliated and your reaction is to be harsh? to hurt back, to get that person back. And we've talked about this several times. You can be biblically right, you can be morally right, you can be ethically right, but spiritually wrong. Because I've seen Christians, and you probably have too, I've seen Christian leaders act like complete fools in public in the name of being right. But Joseph was like, I don't, I don't wanna hurt her. Like, I care about her. Even though she's wronged me, even though she's hurt me, like I don't want to do this to her. And so perhaps when someone sins in your life, perhaps when things go wrong, maybe we don't need to be the first ones to tweet about it or to X about it, whatever it's called now, or to put it on social media or blast the people, right? Maybe we don't have to go out and get everybody every time we're hurt. Perhaps public humiliation isn't the right thing to do. And one more thing to point out about this, about how Joseph acts. So he finds out she's pregnant, decides he doesn't want to marry her, but he doesn't want to disgrace her. So I'm going to go ahead and get this divorce. One thing we got to point out is when we're looking at Joseph, a lot of times people think, well, those people back then, they just didn't understand how things work. And he didn't understand science. They don't understand how pregnancies work. It's called the arrogance of the modern is what it's called. We just assume people back then don't know what we know now, but this is very important. Joseph finds out she's pregnant. So what's he want to do? Break the engagement. They knew how babies were born, folks. He, he, he wasn't that, he, he knew how it was happening. He knew it wasn't his. He, he assumed she was cheating and something else was going on. So in his mind, he had two options. Admit the baby's mind and own the guilt or divorce her. But God had a third option. And this is the thing for us to lean in today. This is why your relationship with God is so important. Matthew 1, 20. It says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. 
Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So as he was considering what to do, as he was wondering what his next steps were, God spoke through a messenger, an angel, and told him, listen, what she's saying is true. She didn't cheat on you. God has done something here. So he tells him, he tells him, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph. Now, I've never had any angel moments. I don't know about you, but I haven't. But I do know angels, a messenger, and I've had plenty of messenger moments, whether it's God's word, whether it's a preacher, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a friend, whether it's accountability. God's still spending, sending messages to us, folks. He's still talking to us, getting his message across. And maybe for you this morning, this is what God's saying to you. Don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid. Because how often does fear stop us from moving towards God's future for us? Think about all the stuff that Joseph could be afraid of. He would be seemingly marrying an unfaithful woman. That's not something easy to work through when you're just getting started. How about fear of what others think? Those of you who grew up in small towns, you know exactly what this means, small town gossip. Y'all ever had to deal with that? It doesn't matter what's true, does it? Everybody knows a version of the story, whether it's true or not true, because the people who don't know what's really going on, they make something up to pretend like they know what's going on. And then you have both of those stories swirling around. So here you have Joseph. Everybody knows Mary's pregnant. That's going all around town. Think about the hum humiliation he would have had. How many people you would have thought believed, well, God did it? How many people do you think they spoke out loud to and say, well, God actually, you know, it's, it's a special, I'm really a virgin, and I was chosen, you know, he found favor in me, and he decided, you know, to give me the Messiah. I mean, how, how often do you think she verbally explained that to people? How arrogant would that sound of her, right? They'd be like, oh, so you think you're that special? She's like, I, I don't, but God did. Or what else could they fear? How's he gonna take care of this baby? Those small town scandals can rock a small business owner. And that's what he is. He's a car, I'm Joseph's a carpenter. So he's got his business. He's gotta make a living. He's gonna walk into church. He's gonna walk into the synagogue. People are gonna be snickering at him. I mean, how are they gonna get by with this scandal surrounding them? This is a lot of fear, folks. The fear of what people think. He has plenty to think about. And what does God ask him to do? God asks him to choose him to choose God over his fear. He's asking him to have faith that overwhelms his fear as we've talked about before. So Joseph had plenty to fear. And all of us, if we are gonna be Jesus followers, something we're gonna have to wrestle with, something we're gonna have to work with is when God calls us to take steps of faith and we gotta deal with the public humiliation of what others think about it and how others feel about it and what they may say and what they may sticker. When you choose to live a life for God, it's gonna look differently than a life for this world. And one thing we see is Joseph had to wrestle with that. He had to work with that. God doesn't say, hey, it's gonna be easy. He just says, trust me. He says, follow me. And some of you need to hear, don't be afraid this morning. It doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. I don't know of one story in the Bible. If you find it, let me know. I don't know of one story of someone taking a big step of faith for God and it turned out to be easy. It turned out to be fulfilling. God did amazing things through it, but it wasn't easy for the person. So the angel shows up, says, Joseph, don't be afraid. He continues, verse 21. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. 
for he will save people from their sins. But there's a lot going on here. We can't touch on all of it. But particularly when Joseph names the child you are to name him, he is publicly saying, this child is mine. I am the father. He's adopting Jesus. He's accepting his um, He's now a part of the lineage and the line of King David. For all legal purposes, think about this because no one else knows what's going on but them. When When he names them, he's saying, I'm his dad. There are no DNA tests. His name's on the birth certificate. It's over. Joseph is the dad. How are you gonna disprove it afterwards? You can't. This is all, he's mine. I'm adopting him. It's if none of this, no one knows it's an adoption. He's saying, this is my son. But instead of having a family name, he says, no, no, you name him Jesus. And Jesus means God is salvation. And there's more to a name, right? He says, he will save people from their sins. Folks, there's so much to a name, especially when it comes to biblical times. And perhaps we need to rediscover and we'll work through that on a different day. But we see that in the Bible, quite often when God moves, names start to change. We saw Peter with Simon. Not that he wasn't following God in the past, but when Jesus did a work in his life, he changed his name to the rock, to Peter. We see Abram's name changed to what? Abraham, that's right. Sarai was Sarah. Jacob went to Israel. Quite often, guys, when God moves, things change. He invokes that change and says, listen, it's time to move on. It reflects what he is doing. But oh, Joe, Joseph, Joe, he has no idea. Keep going. Matthew fills us in. What's going on? Matthew 1, through 23. He says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is Isaiah 7, 14. And what we're gonna do, we're gonna pick up on this next week. And the sections we're gonna look at next week, there's three other prophecies that we see fulfilled. So we'll just deal with all of that at once. If you love prophecy, next week is your week. You're gonna wanna come out for that. But what's really interesting about this is, listen, I'm not into politics, I'm not a political expert, but it seems to me that it's generally agreed upon. Most people liked Abraham Lincoln, like he's the most favorable president of the United States. And it seems to me that every time I see a politician running or I hear a speech, the more times they quote Abraham Lincoln, the more validity they have. Like, like they quote him like, all right, everybody likes him. That's kind of like Isaiah. He's a major prophet. So if you can start quoting Isaiah, it's like a really big deal. He, he's a big deal in the Old Testament. And so when he's quoting, like, look, this was spoke about in Isaiah. It has some authority behind it. it, it it's, it's screaming out. This is a really big deal. So verse 24, we'll, we'll continue that next week. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. So he explains, I had a dream. I heard from the dream. I woke up and I did what I needed to do. Folks, this is how we know this is a man's account. This is it. Think about marriage. I did what I need to do. And you say, Joseph, what about the census? Joseph, what about the end? What about there not being any room at the end? What about the mean gatekeeper? What about the manger? What about the swaddling cloths, Joseph? What about the choir of angels singing from the heavens, speaking to the shepherds? And then the sweet nothings, the shepherds came to spoke to Mary that she treasured in her heart. Joseph's like, Lord told me to do it, so I did it. Like, that's all I got for you. That's, that's it. That's a man's account. He's like, I did it. That's, that's it. Let's just move on. 
But he tells us one more detail. Verse 25, he says, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So he had to wait for some things. I guess his honeymoon plans were a little different than he thought. The Messiah, baby, he probably was like, you know what? I'm just gonna wait. Y'all are grownups. You know how all that stuff works. But he says, the angel told me to marry him, uh, name him Jesus. So I did. And this is what makes the Bible so much fun. There's so many different ways we can apply this text. There's so many different crazy things going on here. But for the purposes of our time together, what we're going to spend the last couple minutes on is just really lean into one particular thing. Last week, we learned that our messes don't stop God. Today, I want you to pay attention that God quite often causes messes in our lives. They're not a mess to him, but they may feel like it to us. That situation they're involved in, that's rough. But that's what God called him to. You see, one of the most theological neglected aspects about the character of God is that our God is a God of change. Right from the opening of the Bible, from the very beginning, we saw this stagnant ball of nothing that God changed into and created this beautiful, amazing planet we're living on today. Throughout the scriptures, over and over, we see when God moves, things change. And again, perhaps you could show me, but I don't know of one story in the Bible where God shows up and starts moving and starts doing something where he tells people, listen, you're righteous enough, you're good enough, just just keep going, you're good. Like nothing needs to happen, you're all right. In fact, I never see him tell people, just go ahead and stay comfortable, you've worked hard, relax. I don't see it once. Show me if you find it. I'd like to read it. But what I see, and this is very important. Listen, if you have your life together, if you are a mature believer in Jesus, if you've been a Christian longer than three years, six years, 10 years, I can keep going, 30 years. If you are a mature Christian, if you're like, man, I grew up in the church, I got this stuff down. If you consider yourself righteous, maybe you don't consider it, but hey, you got some things going for you. If you are like, hey, I'm not in a mess like those people you talked about last week. I got my stuff together. I am so excited you're here. Because the ones who have it all together biblically are the ones he calls to greater difficulty every time. He never says, hey, you're good, so just just be good. Relax. Hang out. A principle from Charles Stanley that I want to look at today is this. He says, God does not require us to understand his will, just obey it, even if it seems unreasonable. And I want you to think through that as we think through the God of change, think about the person of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, it tells us in Genesis 6, 9. So what did he have to do? He had to use all of his resources to build a giant ship that made absolutely no sense to him. What could, Joseph, excuse me, what could Noah have done with all his resources? He could have built bigger barns. He could build a neighborhood, first neighborhood ever. He could have built a strip mall. He could have invested in rental properties, couldn't he have? Y'all act like these aren't real people. These are real human beings we're reading about. But what did God ask him to do with his resources instead? Build a boat. And some of y'all like, listen, thank you, Brian. My wife wasn't letting me get a boat, but now I know what's from the Lord, okay? Building a boat. Like that's, that's what I have to do. No, no, he asked him to build a, an ark that did not make any sense. He said, look, the world's gonna be destroyed, so I need you to invest in this ark. 
I need you to invest in this. And think about this. What happens if he chose to ignore God? What happens? Like, you know what, God? I don't want to build this ark. That's kind of crazy. I'd rather invest in my stuff. What would have happened to all that stuff that he invested in? So a flood happens afterwards, right? You following me? What would happen to everything? Gone, kind of like 2008, huh? I've heard about 2008 and how people lost so much. Maybe some of you did. But imagine if you would have gave it away first. See, during that time, our church had a building, I wasn't here, by the way, but our church had a building project going on. And I think about that a lot. And I think, what would have happened instead of if you losing it, you would have gave it away? Your bank account would have looked the same, but one would still be multiplying dividends by the things of God, wouldn't it? Isn't it interesting when you start thinking about giving versus keeping? Think about how much we lost. What I've learned is what happens if you choose to invest and choose to give, and when God asks you to move, the righteous, the ones who are doing all right, he asks you to invest, he asks you to give, he asks you to multiply those resources. Imagine what could happen with that. Imagine where our church would be if those facilities would be here what we could do with them, what we could have done with them. And I've heard that line that, well, it's a good thing we didn't build it. We couldn't have afforded it. And I think, well, what if you did build it and you paid it off? And then 2008 happened. You're like, well, good thing I didn't lose anything. I already gave it away for the Lord. I already invested it. It'd still be paying dividends today, wouldn't it? You see, my point on this one is the righteous are never called to be comfortable. The righteous or mature are never called to be comfortable. Do you know where comfortable lies? Do you know what that place is called? It's called heaven, folks, for a reason. That's not found on this side of eternity. Think about Abraham. Evidently, he was doing so good, and whatever was going on in his life, God told him to go be a nomad, go wander. Like, well, I don't want to be a wanderer. That's what he told Abraham to do. Read the prophets' lives. Think Mary and Joseph. The people who were righteous, the people that had things going for them, God asked them to step up in incredible ways. Not be comfortable, not big build barns, not retire, not build your kingdom here. We're going to talk about all that throughout Matthew. Not build your little piece of kingdom and have all your stuff together. No, no, give it away for his. Give your life to him for his kingdom and his plans and what he's doing in the world. And my point is simply, if you're a mature Christian, God is not calling you to comfort. He's calling you to step up in big ways for his glory. And it'll look different for all of us, but picture this. The most righteous man that ever walked this planet was hung on a bloody cross. The more righteous, the more you got it together, the more you need to step up for him. Because we serve a God of change. And we don't need arcs anymore, but God's still on a worldwide saving mission. He's still trying to rescue people. It just looks a little different now. And so if we serve a God of change, that means you and me, we have to abandon our dreams and our visions for our future. You see, with Noah, God was on a worldwide saving mission. Noah got on board. God's still on a worldwide saving mission, but now to save souls. And I ask you, are you personally ready to abandon your vision for your future to get on board with what God is doing in this world, saving people through the blood and death of Jesus Christ? What is more important than that? Anything? I think not. So are you ready to give up your visions? Joseph had to give up his vision of this perfect family, having three and a half kids, a white picket fence. He's like, that's not, that's not what God wants for me. 
So it's time to move. It's time to embrace what God is doing. So that's the second part. Not only do you have to abandon, next slide, go two slides. Yep, next slide. Not only do you have to abandon your dreams and your vision, you also have to embrace God's vision for your future if he's a God of change. And listen, we're like, well, if God wants it to happen, that means it's gonna happen. Not necessarily, folks. Think about Jonah. Did Jonah listen to God when he told him to go? Nope, and I go to the beach way too much to be playing with that. I don't wanna get swallowed by a big whale or fish or whatever it was. He got Jonah's attention quick, but think the nation of Israel who left, who were redeemed from slavery, got to go out there. They started kicking and complaining. They had to spend the next 40 years kicking dust. God said, I'm gonna wait for this generation to die before I do anything else. These guys, they're not going to the promised land. We think, well, God's love, yeah, but God's also God. And when he tells us to move, we move. When he tells us to go, we go. Think the nation of Israel again, who were sent into exile, the nation he built, he then tore down because they stopped following him. They stopped worshiping him. And he said, well, I'm not going to bless your sin. So get out. And they did. Think the nation of Israel again. They have a story, folks. Y'all got to read through it. Nation of Israel again. When Jesus came, Jesus warned them about the Romans. We'll see that later in the book of Matthew. They ignored him. What happened? 70 AD, they got wiped out, folks. When the people of God ignore God, things, God steps in and intervenes. So we not only need to abandon what we got going on, because sometimes we hold that way too high, we need to embrace what God wants for us, what God wants for our lives, for our church, all of it together. Because it's quite possible to ignore what he wants for you. Listen, if you know nothing else, I know that God wants for each and every one of us to be transformed in the person works of Jesus Christ. He wants to take you to be as close to a Jesus person, to be like him in your character, in your deeds, in your action, and get on board with the mission that he has planned for this world. And along with that, that's the place to start. There's so many other things he wants to call you to and use you for. But it starts with being discipled, being a student, being an apprentice of Jesus, growing in your faith, helping others grow in their faith, and seeing what he does through all of that. And so Mary and Joseph, well, they both embraced God's plans. They put their vision to the side. They embraced God's for the future. And God called them to what we would, we would call a mess because it just gets more difficult for here for them. So if it's gonna be messy and it's gonna be challenging because it's a step of faith, the last thing I wanna talk about, and we're almost done, number three is we gotta persevere through change. You see, the very nature of something changing means it's not easy, nor is it supposed to be, or we wouldn't have to change it. If it was easy, everyone would do it, and too often we quit in the middle of God calling us or God moving because it gets difficult. But folks, read your Bible. God will see us through if we continue on through that journey of faith. Mary and Joseph, the social pressure they had to endure was not easy. Things were hard, things were challenging, but it was worth it. They gave their life to the service of God and raised the savior of the world. Isn't that incredible to think about that God would choose people to do that? But it was through his change and their efforts that that happened. God is still in the business of saving people, folks. God is still in the business of using people and he's calling you and me to be a part of that. And I don't know if you know anything about rescue missions, which is what God's on a worldwide rescue mission to seek and save the lost. But if it's a rescue mission, that means it must be dangerous. That must, it must be challenging. And we need to accept who God is, what he's doing. 
and what he's calling us to do. And that's be about and understand his change and what he's doing and what he wants to do. It doesn't mean we understand it, which is what Charles Stanley comes back to, that God does not require us to understand his will, just obey it, even if it seems unreasonable, because often it may. And I end with this. As a church, we must embrace that God calls us to change. We have to let go of our best made plans, embrace his plans, his vision, and persevere through whatever that change may be. And this is one idea. This one idea would change the landscape of every single church and every single city and every single state and our entire country if we would embrace one big idea from this. That God calls the mature, he calls the righteous, the ones who've been here the longest, those who have it all together, to sacrifice for the next group. To give it up for them. Because you've had your time. You've been served. You know Jesus. You know where you're going. And now it's time to use your energy and your efforts to help others. Imagine if a church was filled with a whole bunch of people who said, it's not about me. Imagine. But that's what it's supposed to be. Because that's the model of our Savior who gave up his comfort, who gave up his life so we could find life. And as a church, we give up our, our rights or our likes, our comfort, so others can find life in Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater to give your life to. There's nothing greater in service to give your life to at all than the mission and the works of Jesus Christ. We have to recognize that God is not calling us to comfort He's calling us to a worldwide mission to reach the last, the least, and the lost. We all have our parts to play. It's gonna be uncomfortable, but it'll be worth it. You see, what you and me long for, we long for heaven. We long for a place of perfect worship. We long for a place of peace. We long for a place of security. We long for a place that everything's just gonna go right. Our health will be all right. Life will go all right. Our kids will actually get along for one time. That's what I'm going through, okay? Like we long for that. That's not on this side of the earth. You're looking in the wrong place. Here, we work. We're on mission we're joining Jesus Christ in his work and his mission and we're being used by God and we will spend all of eternity in heaven living in that glorious, peaceful place. But that's later. Our job now is to continually point people to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And we gotta be about it. So my question is for you this morning, where is God asking you to take a step of faith? Where is God asking you to change? Where is God asking you to start that process? What is that thing in your life that you know you have to change? The thing you need to start doing, maybe that thing you need to stop doing and recognize and hear and listen. Guys, I honestly believe God still speaks today. I think we just quit listening because we're busy. But where is he speaking to you? Where is he nudging you? What's that thing you know you just need to do? And he's whispering and he's telling you, listen, don't be afraid. I got this. I always have. Just come on. 
So what is it for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your spirit to speak to us this morning. We know you are a God of change and we know that you are calling us individually to step out of our comfort zone and get on board with your worldwide mission of salvation. Father, we know you offer eternal life. We know that you offer an abundant life through Jesus Christ. And we know that you are not calling us to comfort, but you are calling us to change. And Lord, that is so uncomfortable. It's so challenging. It's so easy to just look at our lives and our family and our little kingdoms we have built. But Father, help us look outside of ourselves. Help us look to you. Help us grow in maturity and pour our lives and our resources into others for your glory. So Father, show us where we need to step up and step out. Show us where we need to abandon our plans and our dreams and embrace your vision for the future. Father, we confess that it's scary. We confess change is difficult. We confess putting ourselves out there, building relationships with others, pouring our lives for the benefit of others. Lord, this is also challenging and hard, but Lord, we know it'll be worth it because you are faithful. You always have been. You guided two teenagers in the middle of nowhere to raise up the King of Kings and Lords of Lords. You provided and cared for them. Lord, we understand you got us then. We know you can do the same for us. We know that you have already provided something far richer and far more satisfying than anything we can build. You have given us eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our salvation is the greatest thing you've given us and we thank you for that, Lord. Because Lord, we just ask that we put you first. Help us put you first. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.